welcome to the Fox River Podcast. Our mission is a heart for people and a message of Jesus. We hope you are encouraged in your faith through this message. Thanks for listening. Welcome, everyone. We have a new series that we're going to be doing together, and it's called Shout Out. Now, shout outs in and of themselves are a powerful thing. You're probably familiar with a shout out. Shout out is a word that is spoken to a person, telling them what a good job that they've done, a word of appreciation, some value that you're speaking into them that way. And as I said, they can be truly powerful life forces to us. You can give a shout out, and of course, receiving one, it can be a life-giving thing, which, let me ask for just a second. If you could get a shout out, from anyone, whom would be the most meaningful for you to receive a shout out from? Would it be a parent to get that word of, of praise? Family member, maybe uh, could be a teacher, professor, maybe a boss of yours. How about this? What if you were to get a shout out from uh, a celebrity, from a very famous person? Who would you want that shout out from? What if you could get a shout out from Jesus? Now, actually, Jesus gives shout outs. I want, to, I want to take a look at, in fact, some of the shout outs that Jesus was giving to individuals, ordinary people, just like us, and he did it through the Apostle Paul. It's found in the book of Romans, and so if you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to open up to Romans right now, in fact, Romans chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible with you, but you have a phone with you, open up your phone if you've got a Bible app on it. If you don't have the Bible app, you can download that from the QR code right now, but open up your Bible app and go to Romans 16. This is, this is a passage of scripture I know that you're going to want to see, you're going to want to go back to again, and we'll use it a couple times throughout our time here together this morning. If you're not familiar with the book of Romans, it is one of the Apostle Paul's, it's probably the most famous of the Apostle Paul's um, letters that he had written to the churches. If you are brand new to the faith, the book of Romans would be a treasure trove for you. It's probably his most studied book of all. And if you're somebody who has been well seasoned in the faith, you want to go for the deeper things of God, the book of Romans holds deep deep truths and treasures as well. In Romans 16, we read these words. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church of Sancria, and I ask that you receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help that she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets in their house. Greet my dear friend Epenetus, who is the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Adronicus and Unia, my fellow Jews who have been imprisoned with me. They are standing among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampelatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend, 
Stachus. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. And greet those who belong to the house of Aristobulus. Greet Herodion, my fellow Jew. And greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother who has been a mother to me. Greet Asyncretus, Phygon, Hermas, Patrobus, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philogus, Julia, Nerissus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Like, that is something, isn't it? You might be thinking the same thing. That is really something. I'm not sure how much there is in there for me, actually. There's an individual, may or may not recognize his name, is N.T. Wright. He is one of the leading theologians of our time. And N.T. Wright wrote this about this chapter in Romans 16. He said, What was once an easily Passover passage has become the most interesting and important chapter of the book. You may be going like, "Mm." (laughs) I'm not sure I get that. (laughs) If that's what the book is like, how many are motivated to read the whole thing, right? Actually, I agree with N.T. Wright. There's a couple takeaways for sure that we want to get hold of from the things that we just read here. One of them would be this. That is, there is value and honor that are given to those who choose to serve. There were individuals here that were making a difference for Jesus. Individuals who were using the gifts that they had, ordinary people like you and me, nobody was seminary trained, nothing like that, but they're making high impact for the kingdom of God. We need to hear this. We can as well. As these shout-outs were going out to them, there is a shout-out that Jesus wants to be able to give to each and every one of us, and it's well done. Well done because you are using the opportunities that you have been given. Well done because you've been given the gift that is called the spiritual gift, not I'm not sure you knew that you knew or knew that you knew that you had a spiritual gift, but everyone who's a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God has given a gift to be able to make a difference. Think about that. If you're a follower of Jesus, just say this, say this to yourself right now. Say, I am gifted. Yeah, like I'm gifted. You look at the person next to you and say, Well, it's possible, right? No. That's what the Spirit of God has, has told us. All of us can make a difference because we're gifted to do so. Now, the question, of course, today is this. Am I? Will I? And I certainly do not want to cast the net of guilt out over us. Rather, I want to extend a great umbrella of grace for all of us to be able to get under when we ask ourselves this question. And you need to ask yourself this question right now. Would I receive a shout out from Jesus today for the way that I'm living my life? Would I hear these words? Well done. Good job. I saw that from Jesus. 
would you go? I, I really don't think that I would. Honestly, no, I wouldn't. And if that's the case, here's the good news. That can change right now. Because we can live in such a way that we can make a difference, an impact for others in love. And I couldn't tell you more sincerely these words. That it is my sincere prayer for every single one of us to be able to hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant from the Lord Jesus when you stand before him. And every one of us are going to stand before Jesus. That is why we continue. We want to call one another up to be able to make the difference that we've been enabled to be able to do. That's, that's the first just like big takeaway that comes from what we just read here. Another big takeaway would be this, that we can note that there were both men and women who were leading and leaders in the early church. There were 27 different names that we read there. And if you go back and look at them, 10 of those names happened to be women. Interestingly enough, a lot of these shout outs, most of the detail are going to those who are women. Three of them just right at the top. We, we started off with Phoebe, who was noted to be a deacon and a leader in the church of Sancria. But even more so, you might not um, pick this up from the first reading here, Phoebe was actually the carrier of the book of Romans to the church of Rome. In other words, when the apostle Paul had penned it under the inspiration of the Holy Scripture, it was given to Phoebe, and Phoebe was the one that carried that letter there. It was a big, big deal. Because if you carried a letter to a church, you were then responsible to read the letter to the church and to be able to answer any questions that people had about what was just read. Phoebe was a master teacher, thus given this responsibility by the Apostle Paul. Jesus said, shout out for you. You look down and you see Priscilla and Aquila. They're noted as co-workers, co-laborers with Paul. It means they were peers of his. And if you follow their story throughout the scripture, you'll find in every city that they went, they began a church out of their house, and then they would shepherd people from that, both Aquila and Priscilla. Priscilla was noted as one who trained Apollos, who's going to be a statesman of the church. And then you come to Unia. Unia is called outstanding among the apostles. Now, when you're reading the scripture, apostles, you can think about the 12 apostles of Jesus, the, the original 12, and that would be like capital A, apostle. There was only 12 of them. But when the church began in Acts chapter two, then there was a gifting of apostles. This would be a small a. They were leaders of churches. They were leaders of leaders. And Unia, this woman, is noted as the outstanding one among all of the apostles. Now we could just go like, well, these are some pretty impressive women. That's from our vantage point. From the vantage point of the day, this was eye-popping, jaw-dropping things that were happening. It was radically Countercultural, because before Jesus, there was zero opportunity for any woman to have done this. Jesus, one of the ways that he turned the world upside down, or I think we should say, one of the ways that Jesus turned the world right side up was to actually give women 
the same footing, equality, with men. He restored the original value that God had given to them. Now again, in our culture, we take so much of this for granted. So it's really hard just to be able to kind of wrap our heads around it or really appreciate it. Maybe we could do it a little bit more if we would um, put ourselves in the place of a woman living in either Iran or in Afghanistan. One of the AP um, articles you know, just caught my attention uh, this week. It said, um, Taliban entrenched, women and girls suffering. You see, when the Taliban came in, they instituted Sharia law. And in that, they've now decreed that women cannot receive any education. Women do not have any rights. They certainly cannot vote. They cannot drive a car. They cannot hold a job. It's not that they don't have to work, but they just don't get paid to be able to work. If a woman questions her husband, her husband has the right to do whatever he so chooses to her. Imagine yourself or your daughter being put in this situation in the name of God. Now imagine if in Afghanistan today, all of that changed like that and women were given freedom, equal opportunity, equal rights that were going on. You would say it would radically change everything, right? Well, in Jesus' day, it was much like this for women. Didn't have the rights to education. In fact, they were, in most cases, considered property. A daughter was the property of her father. A wife was the property of her husband, like a shovel, like an animal. Didn't have the ability, the freedom, even to be able to speak a word in court because a woman's word was just that. It was a woman that was saying it. You couldn't put any stock in it whatsoever. Religious teachers were not helping anything. In fact, the religious tenor of the day, the rabbis would say this to the men. They'd say, men, on your worst day, the worst day of your life, at least you can pray this prayer. You can thank God. You can thank God with this, and I quote, God, I thank you that I was not born a Gentile, or a slave, or a woman. The Jerusalem Talmud, that's a commentary on the scriptures, said this, that it would be better for the scriptures to be burned than to be taught to a woman. And into that stepped Jesus. And Jesus makes women disciples of his. That is, he apprentices them to himself as a rabbi. And he begins the restoration process of God's original plan for men and for women. It is gonna change everything. Now, at this point, we just go like, this is a powerful truth that comes out of here. But we could potentially throw a monkey wrench into all this good that Jesus is doing with a verse that 
I really don't think that this verse is ever gonna make it to the verse of the day list. So I don't think you're gonna read it in the verse of the day. First Timothy chapter two, verse number 12, that states this. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. And all the men said, That's a lot of smart men in the same room right, like right now. Like, like. Does that mean that women aren't supposed to teach in church and aren't supposed to be in leadership roles in church? Some people, they would want to leverage it. Some churches would leverage it in that way. Now I'm gonna share with you a very, very deep, conviction that I hold to. And I think many of you hold to as well. This conviction is this. With regards to the scripture, I am not going to add to, nor will I take away from what the scripture says. In other words, I'm not gonna say that God's word says something that it doesn't say in there. I mean, if it's implied, I'm not gonna say God said it. I'm not gonna add to God's word, nor am I gonna take away. It means I'm not going to um, use a magic marker and cross things out of my Bible. Don't like 2 Timothy 2.12, I'm just gonna ignore it. You know, pretend like it's not there at all. This particular conviction, it settled into my soul very early in my Christian life and it's kind of been the guiding, you know, a guiding North Star for me all the way along. At times it's been very, very challenging and, and of course, With the challenge comes reward as well. Let me ask real quickly. And if you're online watching, you can just drop this in the chat. But how many would say, I hold that conviction too. I will not add to, I will not take away from what God has said in his word. How many say that's a conviction of yours? That's a, like that, again, I understand what a raised hand would be saying. Because you come to something like 1 Timothy 2.12. What are you gonna, do you feel the tension with that? I mean, if you don't feel the tension, it's like, there may just be the tendency like, oh, that's just a cultural thing, I'm just gonna ignore it that way rather than realizing it's something the Apostle Paul wrote. So we wanna look close, what does, First Timothy chapter two, verse number 12, I mean, what is it actually saying, what is it saying to us? What do we wanna do with that? And we're gonna do that next week. So if you're interested, come on back next week. I think it's gonna be very, very interesting in what we have, have to do with that. Because I think before we get there, for us to understand this foundational piece of what it is God's intention. What is the original plan for man and woman? How did that plan get disrupted or distorted? And is there any redemption for that plan that way. So again, with the scripture in hand, if you've got your Bible on your phone, we wanna go to the very beginning to see what is God's plan for man and woman and what has he said to us about that. So we're gonna go to the very first chapter in the Bible. It's Genesis chapter one. And here, verse 28, we read about the creation of man and woman. 26, then God said, let us, Trinity here. 
Let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and over the livestock and over all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So a couple quick observations. When God made man and God made woman, he made both of them in his image. We are both image bearers of God. We have God attributes in us. We have an eternal soul. We have the ability to be able to imagine, to be able to reason, to actually be able to connect with God himself. Man does and woman does. And to both man and woman, he gives this charge over creation. He said, I want you to rule over it and subdue it. I want you to unlock the secrets, the mysteries that I put in creation, and I want you to be able to master them or use them for good. And he told that to man and he told that to woman equally. They were both co-regents over creation. Now we read a little bit more about the creation. In verse 18 of chapter two, chapter two actually opens up chapter one, talks about the creation of woman. Verse 18 said, the Lord God said, now it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. So, quick note. When God created man, he knew that he wasn't done. But one of the reasons he didn't do it simultaneously is because there was an important lesson that needed to be learned. It needed to be learned for man, Adam, the first man, but it needed to be learned for all creation as well. So God is making a point in doing things the way he does when he does that. No surprise, right? We read further, verse 21. So, the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. One of the things that'd be easy to miss right here is some of the timing factors. When God originally created Adam, Adam had time to connect with God. This was just he and God, right? So he had time to fellowship together. But God gives to woman the exact same privilege. Because when Adam sleeps and God takes the rib out and then he creates woman, God and woman, Eve, are able to connect, to be able to fellowship, to be able to interact with each other. All before God brings then Eve and introduces her to man, to Adam that way. So you could say tongue in cheek. While the man slept, woman communed with God. And I think that could be true today. <laughs> and while the man sleeps, it's woman who's communing with God. Now we find out a little bit more about this unique special creation of woman. We read it in verse 18. But these words, and two Hebrew words, Ezer Konegdo, really fill in some of the, the missing pieces. The word Ezer, one of the reasons God made woman, 
was he needed to make a helper for man. Now you can read all kinds of things into that. Oh yeah, woman's just supposed to be the helper of man. Ezer, the word in Hebrew, Ezer, helper means one who rescues or one who saves. Ezer is most often used to describe God. 16 out of the 19 times that this word is used outside of this passage. It's used as a descriptor of God. God is our helper. God is our rescuer. Do you hear anything subservient in that? Do you see in any way that God is less than man because he's the helper that way? Like for sure no, right? And then you get this word, konegdo, which is a Hebraism. You almost can't just translate it because when you translate it literally, it comes out this way. Like, opposite. When God made woman, he made the helper, the savior rescuer, who is the like opposite of man. There may not be a better description of woman than someone who is like opposite. I mean, so many ways. We all, we all this humanity, right? We all share that we're so much alike and we couldn't be so different from each other at the same time by God's intention. So you begin to put those things together, like what is God's original plan, original intent for man and woman? And the term we would use is he created us with mutualism. Mutualism means equal and different. Men and women were made equal. Not one above the other. They're equal and different. One theologian, Taryn Williams, he describes mutualism like this. He said, men and women are distinct yet equal. They're created to serve and partner alongside each other in all spheres of life. That is God's original plan. And it was very good. His words. But... This got disrupted. And the disruption, of course, takes place, Genesis chapter three, when sin enters into the world. And when sin enters into the world, one of the destructive dynamics or manifestations of sin is found in verse number 16, which says this. Now your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. God's original plan, mutualism. But now, sin wants to disrupt that or ruin it by me being over you. Eve wants to be over Adam, and Adam wants to be over Eve. In other words, it went from we to me, me first. This is what sin does. Me, I mean, at the very root, here's the pride part of it. I want to use you to get what I want. And when I don't get what I want, well, then I will begin to punish you for it. I mean, it's the exact opposite of love, right? Love is you first, sin is me first. And the way this comes out, if we would use the word dominance, dominance is might makes right. And sin not only affected the interpersonal relationships, but sin affects 
every relationship. You could describe the history of the world with this one word, dominance. The might makes right. One nation conquers another nation. The might is right, and it's just a natural thing to do. And one is always trying to up and overcome and conquer the other. Now you say like, yeah, that is the history of the world. I tell you what, it's kind of the history of my marriage too. Been married for about 44 years. And whenever there's an argument, if I really look at it, do you know why I argue with Denise? Other than the fact that I'm right and just trying to tell her that? I mean, there's, there's that. But the reason I argue with Denise is because I want to control her. I want her to do what I think is best. I want her to do, and usually what I think is best somehow benefits me. And when we argue together, you get two people that are trying to one-up the other. Sometimes you're just willing to put, you know, to put logic completely aside at this point. Well, that affected the relationship. And dominance has been the rule up until the time of Jesus. Yet Jesus comes in with mutualism that's been so screwed up and he redeems a relationship that had been ruined. Or you could say this, in Christ, the curse is reversed. Some people could, they have. If you ever hear this, you know, Jesus, he's just so misogynistic. If you ever hear those words, you just gotta go like, you know, and sweetly say this. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. There is nobody that has transformed and lifted up women like Jesus. And that's exactly what Christianity is to be as well. Now, the church hasn't always gotten that right, right? I mean, it hasn't always gotten it right. But see what Jesus did and tells us to do. Galatians 3 talks about this redeeming, bringing back to you know, original that which was lost. Here Paul writes, there's neither... Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. Now, the way the world worked previous to Jesus was this. You had Jews and you had Gentiles. You had free and you had slave. You had man and you had woman. And everybody knew that's just the way the world worked. But Jesus takes these hierarchies and he said, in me, we're going back to the way God intended and planned it. Everybody equal, equal but different. Jew, Gentile, equal and different. Free, slave, equal, different. Man, woman, equal and different. And that's my intention. I'm gonna do a quick shout out here. This, is, this would be a shout out for uh, you know Pastor Rob. So I, as I was sitting together with other teachers and we we're just kind of planning and going over what we're talking about right now, um, Pastor Rob made this observation and he said that we actually have to ignore God's truth in order to put someone beneath us. Let me see one more time. You have to ignore God's truth to put somebody beneath you. 
in slavery, people would rationalize, well, you know, they really don't even have a soul. So I can put them beneath me. They had to rationalize what God said about everyone being in the image of God. They had to ignore it. Something like abortion. You have to ignore it's a baby or they're a human life in order to justify that. So, I think it would be easy to walk out right now with the second of these big takeaways like right in front of us. The takeaway of in the New Testament church, there were men and women who were leading and in leadership. And this is a, by Jesus' plan and in intent. That's, impo- that's powerful, it's important, it kind of sets us up for a place that we'll go next week and then we kind of bring it right back to where we're at together as a church, shouting out to each other the power of that. But I don't want us to miss the, where we started. Romans 16 reminds us that there is a shout out from the Lord himself to every one of us who will choose to make a difference for him. Every single one of us are gifted. Every single one of us have the ability this week to make a difference. Whether it's sharing Jesus, whether it's using our gift, whether it's choosing to step up and to step into service. That's Jesus' call in our lives. I hope we will not hear wicked, lazy servant. Why did you ignore this? One of the reasons that we're encouraging everybody to be rooted is rooted will, it's an equipper. It will equip you to hear well done from Jesus. It kind of open up gifting and what does that mean and connection with Jesus. So I'd encourage you today to sign up for that. If you just want to go like, I'm ready to take my next step for Jesus, stop by next right afterwards. But Jesus is our Ezra. Jesus is our rescuer. He's the one that helps us in life. He redeems us. And for everybody that's been redeemed, live for the one who redeemed you. And if you haven't been redeemed yet, Jesus not only died and rose so that you could have life, he died and rose so that you could have purpose, so that you could make a difference, and so that you could experience God's original desires and plans for you. And it begins by coming to him and putting your faith, your trust in his finished work on the cross and resurrection. And if you're ready to do that, I want you to join me in this prayer. Jesus, thank you that you turn the world right side up, that you bring things back to the way God wants them to be. And in the world that we live in that is so messed up and distorted, wrecked and broken by sin, we have hope and we have life. We can make a difference. And for those who are here, friends of ours, Jesus, that are ready to confess to you I have sinned. I have put, I have brought brokenness into my relationship with God and others. And Jesus, I need you as my Lord and my Savior. And as best I understand, I want to ask you 
would you forgive me? Would you be my Lord, Savior, Redeemer? Would you be my Ezer? If that's your prayer, friend, to receive Jesus Christ for your first time, would you just lift a hand right now? Acknowledging that that is the prayer of your heart. That is the intention and cry of your soul. Yeah. Others, just wave it at me. It sometimes takes me just a second to see it. God bless you too. Thanks for your saving grace, Jesus. Thank you for the way that you're working in our lives. We so look forward to what you have for us. We pray this in your mighty name and everybody in agreement said. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends. Visit us online at foxriverchristian.org or check us out in person. Thanks again for listening to the Fox River Podcast.